<coughs> Genesis chapter 35, and uh, let's begin reading. We'll read again from verse 1. Genesis 35, verse 1. It says, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto the God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. And Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I'll make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the, the strange gods which were in their hand, and all their earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them. And they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Alon Bachuth. And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Pan and Aram, and God blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob, thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. <clears throat> and God said unto him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply a nation, and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land that I, which I gave Abraham and Isaac, to thee I will give it. Until I seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon. And God called, uh, sorry, and Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. Well, let's commit our time now to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can come once more uh, and consider your word this morning. We thank you for the time we've already spent looking at this chapter, and I pray now as we uh, consider the rest of this uh, section that, Lord, you would uh, give us understanding of your word, that you would teach us, instruct us through your word this morning. Uh, refresh us, Lord. Uh, bless us through your word. And Lord, I pray that you would use me this morning as only you can, that you would give me wisdom and guidance, empower me through the Spirit, and that everything I say this morning will be your words and that you would, uh, Lord, be honoured and glorified this morning in everything that we do. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, as you saw in our first service, uh, Jacob, at the end of chapter 34, was in a place of great dis distress. He was in a place of discouragement. His family had sinned greatly in the eyes of God. And he needed some direction. He needed some guidance from the Lord. He didn't know where to turn. He didn't know where to go or what to do now. And as we saw, the Lord responded by telling him, Jacob, go up to Bethel. Go up to the house of God, draw nigh unto me and worship me there. Now the best thing he could do right now for his family was lead them in a renewed worship and fellowship with the Lord. They needed a renewed focus on him. But as we saw, before they could go up and worship the Lord, before they could draw nigh unto Him, they first needed to prepare themselves. They were stained by sin, they were stained by wickedness. And so they needed to sanctify, cleanse themselves, cleanse the camp, 
so they might be ready to go up to the house of the Lord and appear before him and hear what he had to say unto them. And so we saw Jacob instruct his family to do three things there in verse 2, to remove any idols that were found in the camp, to cleanse themselves, clean themselves, and also to change their garments. And we saw that these three were all a sign of repentance and sanctification, purification, getting themselves, getting their hearts right, prepared to meet the Lord. And by doing these things, they've now made ready. They're ready now to come. And so we see them now head up to Bethel, and they build an altar there unto the Lord. And notice firstly here that we see now the journey to Bethel. The journey to Bethel. Look in verse 5, it says, And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them. And they did not pursue after Jacob, uh, sorry, after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel. He with all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, because the, there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Alon Bar Chuath. Now in verse 5, we see that Jacob and his whole company now, his family and all those that are with him, they now begin the journey up to Bethel. And we're told in verse 5 that as they make this journey, God protects them. It says in verse 5, And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them. And they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. God protects them. Now remember one of the things that at the end of chapter 34, one of the things that Jacob feared was the consequences of his son's sin. He feared what the consequences might be. Chapter 34, verse 30, it says, And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, Ye have troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the, the Perizzites. And I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. And so this was the fear that Jacob had after their sin, after their wickedness. He feared what the consequences would be. He feared that the other Canaanite cities would gather together against them and they would come and seek vengeance. That they would come and seek to wipe them out. And the truth was, Jacob knew that they didn't deserve the protection of the Lord. They didn't deserve the protection of God after what they had done. They had no right to expect God to protect them. He knew what they deserved was the wrath of God. They deserved the judgment of God. And so only the grace of God would now spare them. And indeed that's exactly what we see here. God in his grace, God in his mercy, protects Jacob and his family as they make this journey up to Bethel. And God does this by way of a miracle. It says there in verse 5, <clears throat> And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them. The terror of God was upon the cities. This is a supernatural fear that God put in the hearts of the Canaanites. God made them afraid. He made them afraid to follow after Jacob and to follow after his family and his company. He made them afraid to pursue after them. You see, this is nothing but the grace of God. 
the grace of God towards his people, his chosen people. Jacob and his family, they were his chosen people. And God in his grace protects them here. And we noticed that it came about once they got things right with God, didn't it? You know, after their response, getting rid of idols, cleansing themselves, changing their raiment, after they had purified themselves and they made this journey, God responded with grace and mercy, protecting his people. Commentator Butler writes this, Once Jacob got the household rid of idols and cleaned up and in different garments, all of which stressed purity, Jacob had power over the enemy. While there was sin in Jacob's house, he was afraid of his neighbors. But now his neighbors were afraid of him. And that's the point, isn't it? They, they've now made these preparations. And now as they make the journey, God is with them. God is protecting them. They no longer have to be afraid of the neighbors. The neighbors are afraid of them. And Jacob his family, they've gotten their hearts right. They've made preparation to go up to Bethel to worship the Lord. And God in his grace protects them. And upon arriving at Bethel, <clears throat> Jacob proceeds now to build an altar unto the Lord, just as God had instructed him to do. Look in verse 6. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him, and he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. <clears throat> Jacob now builds an altar unto the Lord, just as God had told him to do back in verse 1. Okay, God had said, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto God. God had told him to do this, and so Jacob does this. As soon as he arrives, he does this. He sets up an altar unto the Lord. And it's interesting, around 30 years earlier, Jacob had come to this very spot. And on that occasion, he was fleeing from his brother Esau. And he had met the Lord there and he called that place Bethel. We read that passage this morning. You know, the dream, seeing the staircase in heaven and hearing the Lord's voice. He's now returned 30 years later. He's in that same spot, this spot he called Bethel. And he fulfills that vow that he made 30 years earlier. He sets up this altar now unto the Lord. And in verse 7, we're told that he calls this altar El Bethel. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel. He calls it El Bethel. Now the name El Bethel means God of Bethel. The God of Bethel. Or the God of the house of God. That's what the name means. And so it's a name that signified exactly who it was that they had come to worship. Exactly who this altar uh, was set up to. Exactly who this place was dedicated to. You see, Jacob understood that the place, the place in and of itself was nothing without God. Bethel was not special if God was not there and if God was not the one they were worshipping. Their worship in this place meant nothing without God. It was just another place. What made it special was God's presence there among them. It was God that they had come to worship at the house of God. Now, the commentator Butler writes this, In worship, Jacob saw more than the house of God. He saw the God of the house of God. How important to see as Jacob saw. The blessing of worship is not in seeing the place of worship, but in seeing the person worshipped. 
Even though the church building is a splendid building, the worship services can be very empty if we do not focus on God. It's an important truth, isn't it? When we come to worship at the house of God, we come to worship God. We need to remember that. Remember that our focus needs to be upon Him as we come to worship. Jacob, he understood that truth. It was not the place that mattered. It was the one they had come to worship. And the altar they build now in this place focused their attention upon God. They focused their attention upon Him and it's there now upon this altar that they worship and they honor Him. And we can be sure that Jacob now would have led his family in the giving of sin offerings and the, the giving of burnt offerings and peace offerings, wherever else, unto the Lord there upon the altar. That's why you build an altar. So he sets up an altar and he leads his family in sacrifice, in worship, in praise unto the Lord. And, and it would have been a wonderful time there upon that mount, mount you know, upon that, in that place, sorry, Bethel, the house of God, being a wonderful time, gathered, meeting with the Lord, fellowshipping with the Lord, worshipping the Lord. It's a time of refreshing. It's a time of great joy. But you know, in verse 8, we're given a little side note that this arrival at Bethel was not without some sorrow. In verse 8, it says, But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Alon Bachuth. This is almost like a side note. We've seen them go up to Bethel. They've prepared their hearts. They go up to Bethel. They build the altar. They're worshipping the Lord. There's joy. There's refreshing. It's a wonderful time. And the writer gives us this side note that this arrival at Bethel was not without sorrow. We're told that Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, dies here at Bethel and it seems that it happens soon after they arrive so you know perhaps she's she's old well obviously she's old she was Rebecca's nurse she's old and so the journey up to Bethel was obviously the last thing and and she passes away as they arrive here at Bethel now Deborah evidently had come to join their company sometime in the past 10 years okay sometime since they came back to the land of Canaan Deborah has left Jacob, okay, and Rebecca down at Hebron, and he, she's journeyed, and she's now joined their company, okay, and most likely that's happened when Rebecca died. We're not told when Rebecca died in the scriptures, but most likely the reason that Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, is with Jacob is because Rebecca has died, and so she's joined herself to his company now sometime in this last 10 years, and obviously during those 10 years, she has been a much-loved member of the household. She's been a much-loved member. She's like a, a grandmother, if you like, to the family. And they bury her now under the oak, and they call the place there Alon Bachuath, which means the oak of weeping. The point is there was much weeping at the departing of this much-loved servant, this member of the family. But you know, the fact that her death is recorded here alongside this happy occasion of renewed worship, renewed fellowship with the Lord, it demonstrates that even when we are exactly where God wants us to be, even when we are exactly in the will of God, doing His will, doing what He wants, in sweet fellowship with Him, even then, there are still going to be times of sorrow, aren't there? There are still going to be sad and difficult circumstances that come our way. 
there will be both joy and sorrow as we serve the Lord. And, and that's a perfect illustration of that. They're in the will of God. They're exactly where God wants them to be. They're at the house of God. And yet here, this much-loved member of the house passes away. It's a time of joy and sorrow. There's a mixture. But of course, there was still far greater joy to be found in this place because the Lord now once more meets with and speaks to his servants. And so we see secondly here the renewal of the covenant. The renewal of the covenant. Look in verse 9. It says, And God appeared unto Jacob again, when he came out of Pandanaram, and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee, I will give it. And to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. <clears throat> Here we see the renewal of the covenant. You know, in verse 9, we see God now appears to Jacob and he blesses him. It says, And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Pandanaram and blessed him. God appears to him once more and he blesses his servant. Thirty years earlier, the Lord had appeared unto Jacob in a dream at this very spot. The Lord had spoken to his servant. The Lord had blessed him. And now 30 years later, the Lord once more appears unto Jacob and God blesses him again. We're not told how the Lord appeared here. We're simply just told that he appeared unto him. And so we assume that, like on other occasions in Genesis, that this is a pre-incarnate Christ. This is the Son of God. Pre-incarnate, it's a special meeting with the Lord yet again for Jacob. And in verse 10, we see the Lord begins... This meeting, this time speaking with him, the Lord begins by confirming to Jacob his new name. His name, Israel. It says in verse 10, And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. The Lord begins by confirming his new name, Israel. Now the Lord, of course, had given Jacob this new name 10 years earlier, around about 10 years. Ten years earlier when he wrestled with the Lord there at Peniel. In chapter 32, let's just quickly go there. Chapter 32. <clears throat> chapter 32, verse 27. This is when he's wrestling with the Lord and it says, and, and he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall not be called shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Ten years earlier, as he rested with God at Peniel, God had said, your name shall be Israel. And when we looked at this passage, we saw that this new name declared him to be a prince with God. It spoke of the fact that he had power with God, and power over man. It spoke of the fact that he would prevail he had prevailed in prayer and he would prevail over man that's what God declared God said you are my prince you're a prince with God you have power with God power with man and you will prevail over man 
And here God now graciously reminds Jacob of that name, doesn't he? That's what he's doing here in verse, uh, verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 10, when he says, Thy name is Jacob, they shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. The Lord is re reminding him of this. Reminding him of this occasion. Reminding him of this promise, of this new name and what it means. He's reminding Jacob that, Jacob, you're a prince with God. And as you prevailed over Esau, you prevailed over Laban, you prevailed over other enemies in the past, you will now prevail again over these enemies in the presence. God is saying to him, Jacob, you have nothing to fear. Your name is Israel. But not only that, the Lord then continues on in verse 11 to declare unto Jacob his name. In verse 11 it says, And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. God tells him now his name. He says to Jacob, I am God Almighty. Now the name God Almighty is El Shaddai. It's a name we've seen before in Genesis. He tells Jacob, he says, I am El Shaddai. Now this is interesting because if you remember back in chapter 32, when Jacob wrestled with God and God gave him that new name, Jacob had asked the Lord, what is your name? Chapter 32, just go back there, chapter 32. And verse 29. It says, and Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, wherefore is it? that thou dost ask after my name, and he blessed him there. Chapter 32, when Jacob wrestled with the Lord, Jacob had asked the Lord, he said, what's your name? And God had replied on that occasion and said, why do you ask my name? The point was, Jacob already knew. Jacob already knew who, who he was wrestling with. He knew he was wrestling with the Lord, and so the Lord on that occasion said, I'm not going to tell you any special revelation of my name, you know who I am. And so on that occasion, God didn't give him his name. But now almost 10 years later, the Lord in this place gives him this special revelation he asked, asked for at Peniel. The Lord says to him, I am El Shaddai. Now God had previously revealed this name, revealed himself, sorry, by this name to Abraham in chapter 17. Just quickly turn there, chapter 17 and verse 1. <clears throat> chapter 17 verse 1 says, And when Abraham, Abram sorry, was 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And so this was a name that God had revealed unto Abraham, his grandfather. And in chapter 28, verse 3, we see that this is a name that Isaac knew the Lord by. Chapter 28. <clears throat> and verse 3. This is Isaac speaking, or starting verse 1, it says, And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him, and charged him, and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife for the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Pen and Aram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother, and God Almighty, El Shaddai, bless thee, and make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people. 
And so is a name that his father knew the Lord by. This name, El Shaddai. And it's by this special name that God now reveals himself to Jacob. And as we've seen before, the name El Shaddai means the all-powerful, all-sufficient one. All-powerful, all-sufficient one. What a glorious, wonderful name for Jacob now to hear from the Lord in this place at this particular point in time. This is exactly what Jacob needed to hear, isn't it? This is the name that Jacob needed to learn from God at this time. You see, think about it. Jacob has just recently seen his sons go and massacre a city. He's seen them commit mass murder. They were his sons, his children. And it was through them that the nation of Israel was supposed to be established. It was through them, his seed, that the nation was supposed to be established. That was the promise of God. But after such gross wickedness, after such failure, how could he expect God to fulfill his promises? For that matter, why should God still fulfill his promises? But now as Jacob stands before God here at Bethel, the Lord declares unto him, he says, Jacob, I am El Shaddai. I am the all-sufficient, all-powerful one, and I will keep my promises to you. You see, the Lord basically says to Jacob here, he says, Jacob, my promises are not dependent upon you. My promises are not dependent upon your sons. I am God, and I am able to keep my promises. And the Lord then goes on, after starting with his name, El Shaddai, the Lord then goes on to tell Jacob exactly what those promises are, that he will keep by his power and keep by his grace. Look in verse 11, it says, And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply a nation, and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee, I will give it. And to thy seed after thee will I give the land. Here in verse 11 and 12, we see now the Lord tells him these promises. He says, I am El Shaddai, the all-sufficient, all-powerful one. And these are my promises that I will keep to you. Now, of course, these are the covenant promises, aren't they? As we read verse 11 and 12, these are the covenant promises. These are the promises that we have seen many times through the book of Genesis as we've been studying it. These are the same promises that God made unto Abraham. The same promises God made to Isaac. And they're the same promises that God had made to Jacob himself 30 years earlier in this very spot. Go back to chapter 28. <clears throat> Chapter 28, verse 13. It says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee, and in thy seed, shall all families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places with thou goest, 
and bring thee again to, into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. These are the same promises God had uttered to him 30 years earlier here at Bethel. God now reiterates these same covenant promises to Jacob, and he begins with the promise to make of him a great nation. Verse 11, And God said unto him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply a nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. The Lord starts with this promise that he will make of him a great nation. And he says here, he says, in a company of nations. Now this is an obvious reference to his 12 sons. The fact that each of them will become a nation, a tribe, making up one great nation. That's what the Lord says to him here. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee. One great nation made up of these company of nations. And it was a nation that one day would be ruled by kings that would come out of his loins at the end of the verse there. And kings shall come out of thy loins. This is the Lord promising that Jacob, yes, your sons have sinned. They've committed this gross wickedness, but I will still establish my nation through your sons. And kings will rule one day out of your loins. Now Jacob was fearful at the end of chapter 34. He was fearful that the surrounding nations were going to wipe him out. They were going to destroy him and his descendants. That's what we saw there, chapter 34, verse 30. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me to make me distinct among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, and I am my house. This was Jacob's fear. He feared that the surrounding nations would wipe them out. But God says, Jacob, I am El Shaddai. And I promise to make of you a great nation. He ensures Jacob here, he promises to Jacob here that his family is not going to be wiped out. But rather they're going to greatly increase. And they're going to become a great nation, a company of nations. Just as he promised. And then the Lord goes on in verse 12 to reiterate the promise of inheriting the land. Verse 12, and the, Lord, and the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee, I will give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. So in verse 12, the Lord now goes on to reiterate the promise of inheriting the land. God declares... He says, the land that I first gave to Abraham and then I gave to Isaac, he says, I give it to you and to your seed to be a possession. The land upon which he was now standing, the land of Canaan, would be the land of Israel. God promised that he would give it to him and his seed. And again, considering what has just happened in chapter 34 and Jacob's fear that they would be wiped out or run out of the land, God says to Jacob, Jacob, I am El Shaddai. I am the all-sufficient, all-powerful God, and I promise that you will inherit the land. Your seed will inherit the land. I will keep my promise, Jacob. You see, as we look at these promises that God makes to Jacob here, we can look back through history, can't we, and see how God kept his promises. You know, the nation of Israel still exists today. It hasn't been wiped out. 
the nation of Israel still exists and indeed the nation of Israel is a great nation. God has kept his promise. Indeed, the nation of Israel is back in the land. They haven't possessed all the land yet, but we know they will. In the millennial kingdom, they'll possess all the land. You see, God's promises to Jacob have been fulfilled, at least in parts. And they haven't been fulfilled because Israel deserves it, have they? You know, they failed the Lord time and time again. This is, you know, just the first in a series of failures by Israel's descendants. And so they're not, God hasn't fulfilled his promises to them because of what they have done. Rather, God has kept his promises. Why? Because he is El Shaddai. He is the all-sufficient, all-powerful God. And he can and he must keep his word. And beloved, just like Jacob, God has made promises to us as his children. And if we know Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior, then he has given us those promises. They belong to us. And in particular, he has promised us an eternal inheritance in heaven one day. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1 with me. 1 Peter. First Peter 1 verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, we have an inheritance in heaven waiting for us. It's the promise of God unto us as believers, the promise of eternal life, the promise of sins forgiven, the promise of spending eternity with Him. And what a wonderful, glorious truth it is that that promise, His promises are not dependent upon us. Isn't that a glorious thing? They're not dependent upon us. It has nothing to do with what we do in this life. As verse 5 there in 1 Peter says, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. We are kept by His power. He will keep His promises to us by His power. We are simply saved by grace through faith. That's our part, isn't it? As it says in verse 5, we are kept, who are kept by the power of God through faith. Our part is simply faith to believe. God is going to do the rest. You see, the point is that even when, like Jacob's family, we fail the Lord miserably, even when we bring shame and reproach upon the name of Christ, even if we, we lose our testimony as Jacob's family has here, we cannot lose our inheritance. Isn't that a glorious thing? We cannot lose our inheritance. We cannot lose our home in heaven with Him one day. You see, our salvation, the promise of God to us, is fully dependent upon Him and not upon us. He has done it all. Our part is simply faith to believe. Our God is El 
Shaddai. He is the all-sufficient, all-powerful one and he is able to keep his promises to us. And indeed he must keep his promises to us because he is the God who cannot lie. As Titus chapter 1 says, let's turn there quickly. Titus 1 verse 2 says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. We have hope of eternal life. Why? Because God promised it and God cannot lie. He is El Shaddai. The all-sufficient, all-powerful one, and he will keep his word. He must keep his word. His promises are not dependent upon us, and that's a wonderful, glorious truth. But of course, as we saw this morning, our sin does hinder our fellowship with God, doesn't it? Our sin does hinder our fellowship with God, and so as we saw this morning, when we sin, we need to cleanse ourselves, we need to sanctify ourselves. In other words, deal with our sin. Go up to the house of the Lord and spend time with the Lord in His Word, seeking to be refreshed, seeking to be renewed in our fellowship with Him. But it starts, of course, with dealing with our sin, confessing our sin, getting our hearts right with God so we can draw nigh unto Him and be refreshed and renewed in our fellowship with Him. You know, when we do that, when we do get our hearts right and we do come into His Word and we come and draw nigh unto Him, the Lord will comfort us with his word. He will refresh us with his word just as he did here for Jacob. Isn't that what God does here? God has sent him to Bethel. He said, deal with the sin. He's dealt with it. He's gone up to Bethel. He's drawn nigh unto God. And what has God done? God has refreshed and renewed his servants. And he's done it by saying, Jacob, your name is Israel. You have power with God and with man. You will prevail. And he says, and Jacob, I am El Shaddai. The promises all depend upon me. You see, God knew exactly what Jacob needed to hear, didn't he? He knew exactly what Jacob needed in this hour. And so God met him and God told him exactly what he needed to hear. God comforted and refreshed and renewed his servants. You know, after the Lord departed from Jacob, we see that he then sets up a pillar to remember this meeting. Just quickly, let's turn back to chapter 35, verse 13. It says, And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. Just as he had years earlier in this same place, Jacob once more sets up a pillar. He sets up a pillar to commemorate and to remember this meeting with the Lord. And he pours a drink offering, oil, upon the altar, which is symbolic of his consecration anew unto the Lord. Jacob here demonstrates his devotion, his consecration to God with this act. And this pillar would now be a constant reminder of this meeting with the Lord. It was a, a pillar. He could look to the pillar and he could remember these words, remember these words of comfort, these words that God gave him to refresh him, to renew him to remember this significant occasion in his life. And beloved, it's good when the Lord refreshes us through his word. When he speaks to us through his word, it's good for us to set up a pillar. 
It's good for us to consecrate ourselves anew to him and to commit the words of the Lord to our memory. So that in the future we can remember his words in our time of need. So we can look back to that time and we can remember what God did. We can remember his words of comfort. Now it's good to be able to look back and see those pillars in our lives. You see these times when God has refreshed us. He has renewed us wonderfully through his word. And no God will do it in the future. Every time we follow the Lord, we can deal with our sin. We can go up to Bethel, draw nigh unto him, and God will refresh. God will renew us through his word. And no matter how many times we fail him, the promises are not dependent upon us. They are all dependent upon him. Because he is El Shaddai. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you so much for this passage this morning, seeing your servant go up to Bethel, drawing nigh unto you. And Lord, you did not disappoint. You renewed and you refreshed your servant. With these wonderful words, Lord, the fact that you are indeed El Shaddai, you are the almighty, all-sufficient God. And Lord, your promises are completely dependent upon you. And Lord, the same is true for us as believers. Lord, we thank you and we praise you that our salvation is not dependent upon us. The Lord, it all rests in you. But Lord, we know that sin does hinder our fellowship. And so, Lord, help us daily to prepare our hearts to deal with those things so we might draw nigh unto you and be refreshed and blessed by your word. Lord, may you bless as we close this day. May indeed you refresh us this day through your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.